Good morning. Um, Kelly and I are honored to be here and uh, be part of this. As, as Travis was saying, uh, you've already heard, most of you, I think, our story. We were planning to come in in October, and we got hit with uh, COVID, so we are back 100%. But um, uh, you guys heard some of our story, and we had a, a two-part series we were doing, um, which was really about just a quick overview of, of if you weren't part of that and didn't hear it. Um, it was a story of my life growing up. Uh, as a young young boy, I lost my father at a very early age, and it introduced me to all sorts of fears and different things um, growing up. And um, as I got older, um, I really operated from that spot of extreme fear and insecurity. And um, in high school, I was saved. I heard the gospel for the first time, and I got saved, and I was truly regenerated, looking back on it. But I also found alcohol for the first time. So it kind of started this battle, this struggle of, I found something that could take care of all my fears and insecurities, and I, I knew I was saved at the same time. So this enormous battle that went on in, you know, on and off through my 20s and 30s, and we had gotten married um, in our mid-20s, and by the time I was in my mid-30s, um, I was a full-blown alcoholic, and it was totally out of control, and I was uh, basically on the road to derailing our entire marriage and life. Um, and, and most of you heard some of that story, and I'll credit my wife, Kelly, during those years, she, um, she'll share some of her story later, too, and kind of her perspective on it. But um, I'll give her a lot of credit for um, staying true to the covenant she made before God, because uh, she probably didn't need to, uh, and she would have been advised by many people in the world to get out um, when we were married for those years. So that's kind of the story, if you hadn't heard it. But there's a part of the story you want to share today uh, about adoption. There's a piece um, of our story that we didn't cover last time. And I guess our hope is, one, it encourages you and gives you hope, but second, that it fits into the topic for today of emotional intimacy. So we're not going to teach on it, but I think how we present it and, and parts of it will connect with you all. Um, so on the uh, topic of adoption, if you go back to uh, when we were married, uh, we were married in 1998. Um, for the first several years, we uh, had talked about adoption. It was always part of the story and, and um, you know, part of the conversation. It was interesting. Kelly was much more passionate about it than I was. Every time we got a little bit closer, started getting into more research, whenever it got serious, I would usually put on the brakes and shut it down. I was like, okay, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. And um, so that went on for many years. And uh, five or six years after we were married, we ended up having our oldest son, uh, Aaron, who's now a senior in high school. So six years into marriage, we had uh, one child, and uh, Aaron was born. And in the next few years after that is when I really was in the um, throes of my alcohol addiction. And uh, so essentially what I'd say is the first 10 years of marriage was kind of that first um, chunk of tapping the brakes on adoption and not knowing if we wanted to do it, having Aaron, and then that derailed everything uh, when I was into my alcohol problem. So really it derailed marriage, finances, the trust in our relationship was totally derailed, and uh, it derailed the kids um, aspect of it too. We, we, we were kind of settled, settling in on we're probably going to have um, just one child. So fast forward. Um, to 2007, and part of the story you'd heard previously, um, I went into treatment um, in December of 07, so we're talking 14 years ago already, and that was the start of God doing a big work in our life. And coming out, um, I knew I had a, a huge mountain to climb with my wife and uh, family and things like that, but God put us on a really great path, and he, he allowed us to find Grace Church. We came from a different church and found Grace, and um, I remember the first Sunday we were here, we heard Clark Crebar speak. Some of you have been around a while, you remember Clark. And, and we realized that we had been in church for many years, and we were not hearing the gospel preached. And when I heard Clark, we were both in tears. We couldn't believe it had been all these years that we weren't hearing the pure gospel preached. So um, he put us on a path here for many years of growth and being involved in 
all sorts of different um, activities and ministry groups. We were reading all sorts of material. God just really put it in our, our hearts to devour God's word. Uh, so we were on a real path of growth with me coming out of treatment. And um, by the time, uh, I'll fast forward to like 2013, 2014, so what, six, seven years ago, um, we had gotten to the point where we had really solidified a lot in our marriage. The trust had grown back. And uh, I that year, I, I signed up for uh, a men's ministry class called Activate. And actually, some of you in here were in that class. Roger, I know you were too with Mac Trinan. And it was a, a very challenging class. They uh, put a lot of things in front of us. But the, the big thing they did that changed my life is he challenged us to memorize the book of James. I thought, wow, memorize a whole book. It's huge. I, I don't know if I could do that. And uh, I, I took seven months, and, and I did it through the whole class. So I had a, I had a job where I drove a lot for sales and uh, driving 15, 20 hours a week. It's the perfect setup to memorize scripture. So I had my little index cards on a, <laughs> on a ring, and I still have that to this day. But it took me seven months, and I memorized it. And uh, as many of you know, um, God's word is exactly what it says it is. <laughs> it gets in my heart, right? And uh, I was memorizing. It was going through my mind all day, every day, trying to memorize these things. And um, things started to kind of bubble up again and rekindle. And uh, some of the things James covers, um, care for widows and orphans, <laughs> talks about um, be doers of the word, not merely hearers, right? Talks about uh, faith without works is dead. And some of those things started to grab a hold of me, and I realized um, I was now 41, <laughs> and we were resolved. We were fine. We had a little trio. It was me, Kelly, and Aaron, our oldest, and we kind of put all those thoughts of other kids to bed. And all of a sudden, I realized I got to the point where I knew if I didn't pursue this or at least start to explore it again, I knew in my heart I was going to be in direct defiance of God if I didn't do it. So one night in our Bible study... Um, I told the guys, uh, I said, then they didn't know this was coming out of the blue. I said, I think, we, I think God's calling me to adopt. And uh, they gathered around me and prayed. And uh, that was kind of the start of the next portion. I'll hand it to Kelly, and she'll kind of share her part of the story. All right, so let me just take a, uh, maybe a humor break. This is Joshua. He's very, very proud of his story. <laughs> anyways, and he, uh, anyways... He helped pick out our clothes and everything. He's very excited to be here. Um, just do the next. All right. So if you know me at all, you know that I probably need to take some sort of course in how to small talk because I don't know how. I'm super honest and I go deep really fast. So um, this is going to be um, just part of part of that. Um, so like Dan said, when he got out of treatment and even before that, you know, I had zero trust in him. And when he got out, um, it didn't like magically come back. Um, and it wasn't necessarily like an angry, I'm angry, I don't trust you. It was just, I didn't trust him. Um, and as Dan said, you know, as a child, I remember seeing other kids being adopted, other families and, and wanting that as well. Um, Dan was not interested in it, especially when we were, you know, prior to what, what uh, prior to him memorizing James. Now, you women know that we can be very, very good at manipulating. Um, and I could have manipulated this to get my way. Um, yet I was convicted very early in our marriage of what I could do to get my way by manipulating and this one was huge. 
This was not something that was like, oh, this is a dish pattern I want, but this is a child. This is a life. If anybody's been to um, to Colorado Springs, the um, Focus on the Family has their their um, headquarters there, and in one of the areas they have photos of of um, child after child that's in. that's in the foster care program. And I remember doing this, standing in front of those kids and just crying. It just broke my heart. <laughs> His note says, try not to cry. <laughs> um, thank you. I will. Um, and, um, you know, and the one last Sundays would come up and I would do the same. And I remember thinking, this, this is what manipulation could look like is me crying and Dan feels bad and then, oh, well, well, we'll try to explore that. And so I remember realizing that that's what it could look like and so saying, you do know that if I had 100 kids, I would still cry at these kids. It broke my heart knowing that these people, these kids needed a home. Um, trust began to grow as Dan and I continued to heal. We were both um, in God's word. We um, were growing together. He became trustworthy over time. Um, and year after year, year went by, and the dream started to die of having more kids. Or at least that's what I pretended. I stuffed it so I wouldn't hurt. But I actually became content with just the three of us. And I was unaware that God was bringing us spiritually and emotionally together. And again, unbeknownst to me, God was, was convicting Dan through memorizing scripture. Dan has told, told the men in his group, uh, he hadn't let me in on that information. So he um, said, Kelly, I need to talk to you. And I need to tell you something. That's the second time in our marriage that he said that. The first time the wheels completely came off. And this was the second time he said it. Um, and so I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So when he said that, um, I knew he was memorizing James. And when he said, I'm being so convicted by the Lord that we need to pursue adoption and I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't obey, I knew that um, I needed to listen. And you might think that my reaction would be cartwheels and excitement. But you have to remember that I had settled in my heart that I, that I was fine. So instead, I got mad. And it might sound strange or confusing, but as I, um, I finally became content and Dan changed, I struggled with submitting to the leader of our home who just really wanted good things for us. My heart became hard because it was this thought of, now that it's okay for you, it's okay. But when it, well, I wanted to, you wouldn't listen. So my heart became hard. I um, did seek out counsel, which we often do, with some godly friends who listened, prayed for me, and gently corrected me through God's word. Now for the next few months, 
I did the job. I, we found the adoption agency. We did paperwork and paperwork, doctor's appointments, book reports on connection and trauma that these kids undergo, social worker appointments, more paperwork, consulate issues, more paperwork, and um, my heart began to soften. And one year later to the day of us choosing the adoption agency, we got a call. Let's see, I'm behind on the picture, so I'll just kind of go through them. Um, and so the, our, our agency called and said, hey, we have a little boy in Zhengzhou, China. That was, we do have to pick the country. So we knew China would be where, we just didn't know where in China. His name is Zheng Fujer, which means fortunate one. He is two and a half years. He um, has a cleft lip and cleft palate. Are you interested? Of course, when he said yes, and um, waited and waited for the email to come, found it in the junk mail. <laughs> so if you're looking for something important, check your junk mail. Um, but anyways, when we, um, our whole idea was we were going to open up the email and just read the data. We had no interest in looking at the pictures um, because I knew what that would do. So um, we were just gonna see what it said. I'm gonna fly through these pictures really quick. Okay, this is what popped up. And um, as you can imagine, I was gone. Um, his, his report was actually extremely confusing. It looks like they probably took two, two, chi two children and merged the two together of the file. So it, none of it was making sense. So we uh, reached out to the, there's a adoption, um, clinic that the doctors there were helping us try to uh, figure out. And so after talking to that doctor, we said yes. And so now we were actually really together, racing to get this little boy. And through this proce process, there were some amazing confirmations. First, we, um, we knew that we needed to get, be out of debt. If you remember, Dan and I were over $100,000 in debt after he came out of, out of um, um, treatment. And so we had been working on it, but we still were, were a ways off, and we knew, knew we needed that. We did get counsel from um, Josh Mulvihill, who goes here, but he was on staff at the time. He knew us well, and we wanted him to kind of poke holes through the idea of us adopting and he didn't. He listened to us for about uh, 40 minutes or so, and then afterwards, and after he talked, spoke back to us, said, I just have to tell you that this has never happened to me. The Sunday prior, two people had come up to him and said, you know, if the Hauglins ever would like to adopt, we have money. So that was a pretty huge confirmation for us. Um, you know, we had three things that we prayed for. One was that we would be debt-free, which we, um, Dan received a promotion. Um, we refinanced our home. We got out of debt. The second was that it, our adoption would be paid outside of our budget. And money was given to us like a line, like a race, giving us money. In the last month, the last um, $3,000 that we needed, somebody gave. We paid nothing out of our budget. Which then 
allowed me to stay home. We knew that he would need anyone that we brought home in from an orphanage needed me to be home. And so that's what that all meant. So that was one of the, um, or a couple of the confirmations, and then Dan's going to speak into one. So yeah, one other confirmation that I, I just want to highlight and point to the Lord uh, before we wrap up here. Um, one of the things you have to do of many things in adoption is um, you go through a lot of processes with, with a social worker, and there comes a time when you have to sit down, and, and uh, there's a lot of essays and different things. Like I, I look back and can't believe how many things we had to do, but they ask all sort of you know very deep probing questions about your upbringing and how you feel about your parents and what's your philosophy of parenting and discipline and all these different things. So we had a fantastic uh, social worker, and we sat down. It was my turn to kind of give my story, and she came for the appointment at her house, and it was, uh, it was supposed to be just me and her. So Kelly went to the other room. And I, I went through the whole story about losing my father at an early age and um, you know how much fear that brought and my alcoholism and then how God rebuilt us. And um, I talked about how I felt like I had two lives, right? Like I felt like I had a life with my dad and when he died, everything changed. I mean, it was like, boom, stop, life one is over, life two starts. My mom was uh, remarried a few years later. So it was kind of, it's difficult to reconcile all that. And uh, she sat and I, I got emotional. I started crying and uh, got through my story, and then I, I looked, and she was tearing up and crying, and, and um, she said, Dan, I never cry at these. She said, I've done hundreds of these interviews with people, and she said, I, I never cry, but she said, I, I, I wanted to stop you many times during your story, but I, I let you finish, and she said, you are very uniquely gifted to be an adoptive father, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and she said, um, because how you told your story uh, she said, the words you used, a lot of the phrases, how you framed up your story is a lot like uh, adoptees when they, you know, adult adoptees, when they reconcile and come through healing and look back on their life, they, they speak about their lives the same way. They had a, a first life and a second life, and everything changed. And um, she was a believer. Um, and, and when she told me that, I was, I, I just broke down again, and I thought, how kind of the Lord, <laughs> you know, just um, not just a confirmation, but, you know, I started thinking, you know, how does God use all things for the good of those who love him, right? We know these, these verses, and it was just all these things were illuminated in my mind, and I was so filled with joy, like the Lord was actually showing me something um, that not many people get that, right? We all go through a lot of difficult things in life, and we know the vehicle to sanctification is actually suffering, right, and difficulty, and there's all sorts of things that happen in life, but that was something that will obviously burn into my heart forever, and uh, I just thank the Lord for that. It was, it was very unique, so how do we wrap it up? I'll, I'll close here. Um, uh, our hope is that um, this just brings you, um, like I said, some encouragement, some hope to wherever you're at in your marriage. Um, the Lord is always working at all times in your life, no matter whether you believe it or not or think about it or not. And I think most of us would cognitively agree with that, but a lot of times you don't feel it. But it is true. God is always working. He took us from a, a place in 2007 where we had zero trust. I had no idea how the future was going to unfold to a place five or six years later where he had rebuilt our marriage on him, right? <laughs> he changed our heart. Um, we were trusting each other again, but it was really us being unified in the obedience of, of what we were doing together that really took us to a whole new place in our life. And um, 
it's, it's one thing to trust in the Lord, but acting on that trust together is really a very special part of our story. And when I look back, even when we're preparing this, it, it gives you a chance to reflect and recount, right? Psalms talks all the time about recounting the works of the Lord. There's a reason he wants even us to get up and share this, right? This isn't about us. This is about what God has done for us because it encourages other believers, right? When you see what God has done in other people's lives, it gives us all courage. That's how the body of Christ works. So that's what I'll point to today, and I'll just finish with um, Psalm 9 is what I wanted to read. I'm going to read a couple different verses, Psalm 9, 1 through 2, and 7 through 11. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. Thank you.